Jesus lived when the Roman Empire dominated Israel. The Roman Empire treasured obedience and worshipped of the emperor. The Roman Empire was not pleased with Jesus because he taught a different way of life and people were attracted to his message. He was disruptive because he treasured people, even those in the Roman, even those the Roman Empire hated. Roman authorities became more and more frustrated with Jesus, but he did not back down. This is what Jesus is speaking about when he said the Son of Man would be would be betrayed and killed. The Roman Empire also did not treat children very well. According to historians, Romans did not believe children had human rights, and girls were treated unfairly. They were not allowed to go to school, and they were made very made to marry very young. Little girls were not treasured. As Jesus often did, he rejected this idea and showed us another way. Jesus believed and taught that children were important. So when disciples were arguing about which of them was the greatest, Jesus took a child in his arms and he told them that if they welcomed a child, they would be welcoming Jesus himself. Jesus could, could have said to the bickering disciples, you are all wrong. I am the greatest. Instead, Jesus raised up a child showing them and us the greatness in children. Jesus loved to empower the people who were not appreciated. Imagine this child was a little girl. She was not allowed to go to school. She did not get into and could not get to inherit her family's land or businesses. She did not have many choices at all. Then Jesus comes along and tells everyone she represents the son of God. I wonder if she felt treasured that day. All children should feel treasured by their families and communities. When we were tempted to argue with each other about who is the best and who is the greatest, who should be in, who should be in control or make decisions, Jesus showed us people are a true treasure, not being in the number one spot. On days you do not feel like a treasure, share that feeling with a trusted family member or a friend so they can remind you how precious you are, just like Jesus did. Well, it is Palm Sunday, finally, and it's really uh, hard to believe that um, <laughs> a year ago last year, we tried our first kind of parking lot thing on Palm Sunday, and we had a drive-through palm procession where you could come through and get palms so that you could have them on Sunday morning as you were watching online, and we thought that... Uh, Maybe we would have three or four or five or six weeks of this, but here we are a year later, still doing the same thing, but there's hope, right? Like there's always hope, even in the midst of things changing and even in the midst of things not being the way we want them to be, because as followers of Jesus, we do believe that in death and resurrection, and we see it actually in the natural world all around us, our desert is full of yucca cactus, and when you watch them, they bloom and they die, and when the seeds fall to the ground, that grows another yucca. And so when things change, new growth comes behind it. So um, while we are in the, still in the midst of a changing world, we know new and good things are on the way. I'm going to read to you today um, from the book of Mark. This is chapter 11, starting with verse 1, and I'll read through verse 11. But Mark's version 
of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is fast, just like the Gospel of Mark is. He kind of moves quickly from event to event to event uh, throughout his Gospel. And I would encourage you to take some time to read Mark chapter 11 and 12 and all the way through the crucifixion and resurrection during this Holy Week. Um, It's a time that I think you will um, be able to Actually, because in the book of Mark, you can follow this thing happened on Monday, and this thing happened on Tuesday, and so it's kind of fun to read along during Holy Week and get to that. And also, you'll want to come by the church and check out our uh, Stations of the Cross that will be on the outside of the church, so that you can kind of go through the Stations of the Cross, which is something that I don't know has ever been done here at Morningstar. It certainly hasn't been done Uh, in the four Palm Sundays and four Holy Weeks that I've been part of the church. And so I would encourage you, if you don't know what the Stations of the Cross are, to come by and check it out. The first um, visual that you will see is something to read to kind of help you understand and learn what the Stations are. And then you'll go from one picture to the next, depicting um, a part of Jesus' life. And you can use those pictures as a meditative tool as you um, w- go throughout this holy week of, of Lent. <clears throat> Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 1. When Jesus and his followers approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus gave two disciples a task, saying to them, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt, that no one has ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, its master needs it, and he will send it back right away. They went and found a colt tied to a gate outside on the street, and they untied it. Some people were standing around. Some people standing around said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them just what Jesus said, and they left them alone. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes upon it and sat on it. Many people spread out their clothes on the road while others spread branches cut from the fields. Those in front of him and those following were shouting, Hosanna! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. After he looked around at everything, because it was already late in the evening, he returned to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And may God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation, and may God give us wisdom and courage to apply the truth of this story to our lives. Amen. A lot of my thinking around this passage comes from two biblical scholars, John Dominic Crossan and Marcus Borg, who wrote a book called The Last Week. And then there's also some video that they've done in, in uh, uh, Israel showing some of these places that are talked about in the last week of Christ's life. But Borg and Crossan are two um, high, high thought leaders within the study of the historic Jesus, this idea of Jesus as a person. Who was he? What was he about? Why was he doing the things he was doing in a historical context? 
And they play into the spiritual ideas that we have around Jesus also. But it's just fascinating to think about the historical way that Jesus functioned and what was going on. And so what I'd like to do this morning is kind of lay a framework for you before I start to um, present some truths that we can maybe apply to our lives as we head toward Easter. So a few hundred years before this event took place, Alexander the Great, after some brutal sieges at different places, uh, like Tyre was one of them, and he conquered a few places and they had some brutal sieges where his army surrounded the city and kept everybody in the city until they started running out of food and water until they finally, instead of all of them dying a horrific death, they surrendered. And so Alexander heads toward Jerusalem, and they open the gates at Jerusalem and just surrender automatically to him. And he rides in on his famous war horse that is written about throughout all of the tales of Alexander the Great. He rides in on this big, powerful, strong war horse, and it represents nothing more than the entire power that the Roman Empire had cast upon the world at the time. There's a story that happens in the intertestamental period between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, or the end of the Hebrew Bible and the beginning of the Christian scriptures, that talks about the Maccabean revolt, where these brothers, this family, revolted against the Roman Empire, and as they were entering into a city that they had just won a big battle, and they're coming into the city basically as the conquering kings and being celebrated, that the doors are flown open to the city, and people start to lay down their coats, and they start to lay down palm fronds, and they start to lay down other things, and they shout, Hosanna, save us. So this thing that Jesus is doing is reflective upon what Alexander the Great did when he conquered Jerusalem, And what the Maccabeans did when they had won and for a brief period of time held Jerusalem, he's basically performing an act of political theater to say to the world that was watching at the time, there is a new way of being in this world. There is a new way of functioning. And so Matthew and Mark, what they do when they start to tell this story is they talk about the idea that there is a donkey or um, a colt that is supposed to be ridden in on by the Messiah. And that he also will be standing on his legs looking at the city from the Mount of Olives. And so you can see that Mark wants us to make sure, make sure that it's known that when Jesus and his followers approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. So this is looking back on the prophecies about what the Messiah was supposed to be doing when he comes to the city. Because there were some Old Testament prophecies that spoke of such matters. But my, what we call sanctified imagination and In the African-American church, they say the sanctified imagination adds flesh to the bones of the story for us. I like to imagine that this was an entirely planned out event by Jesus, that he had gone ahead and he had talked to whoever owns this cult and said, tie it up outside of your place and 
If you're there, that's great. If you're not, don't worry about it. But here will be the code word. If you see some people coming that you may or may not recognize and they start to untie the colt, just ask them what they're doing in this certain and specific way and they will answer in a certain and specific way. And so we know, I like to think that it was this very covert operation that had been planned entirely by Jesus and possibly other disciples that we don't know as well as the ones that are mentioned often in the Gospels. Borg and Crossan have a theory that I hope is true, that Jesus comes in on one particular side of the city and it's not the side that had the main road coming in that the conquering kings would come in. And we do know, as a matter of historical fact, that this was during the time of Passover and the Roman government pushed more troops into Jerusalem during the Passover season than any other time because Jewish folks would take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and it was a big, huge party. Kind of like uh, the music festivals that we have around the United States today. People would come from all around the region to come to this place on a spiritual pilgrimage to be able to feel the presence of God and worship with their kindred and kin. So the Roman Empire would send more soldiers to protect against the possible revolt. Imagine Jesus riding in on one side of the city on a donkey or a colt, and peasants are around him, maybe some of the folks that had been demon-possessed that he healed, maybe it was people who had been lame for whatever reason and he healed them, maybe it was women who he had protected and brought into his group of disciples, and of course his disciples were there, and this ragtag band of followers of Jesus, these ragamuffins, if you will, are following along and they're shouting, Hosanna, 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 save us now. And he's riding in on something that could be no more warlike or no less warlike than a small child, possibly. He's riding on a small donkey. Crossan and Borg think that it's very possible that on the same day, or at least on the same time period, within a day or two of this event where Jesus comes in, from the other side of the city, would come riding in a, a group of Roman soldiers on war horses. You could hear their armor clattering. You could hear the creaking of their saddles. <clears throat> you could hear orders being shouted out, men marching, trumpets blowing, people being pushed out of the way as a show of force. And it sets up what I think is the perfect juxtaposition between the way we as followers of Jesus ought to be and the way the world tells us we ought to be. Strong, powerful, seeking more power, forcing our will onto people, whether that be through the vote or whether that be through the use of our money or a kingdom that is being taken over through love and acceptance and grace and recognizing that there is beauty and difference 
and the willingness to lay down your life or our lives for our friends, the willingness to pray for our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. The way of Jesus versus the way of the empire. We have a choice to make this week. Which way will we choose? Will we choose the way of love and sacrifice? Or will we choose the way of dominance and power? That's the question. We often like to say, well, we'll just take up our cross and follow Jesus. But I wonder if we will. I wonder if we will or if we'll continue to allow the world to kind of dominate. I wonder if we'll start to use our voices for those who don't have a voice. I wonder if we'll start using our bodies for those who are often oppressed and beat down. I wonder if we will choose the way of Jesus or we will choose the way of power. My hope is that we all will have the courage to choose the way of Jesus. And then we would do it for the glory of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen.